Please turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 26. We are continuing our study of the unseen forces. We've already went through, of course, the angelic host, the holy angels or the elect angels. We started into learning about uh, demons, specifically Satan himself. And what is true of Satan is also true of demons, generally speaking. They were once angels, holy angels, who rebelled with Satan and are now known as fallen angels or demons. Now, of course, if you watch any kind of a horror movie or whatever, there's all kinds of depictions of Satan and demons and all this. They make them look very grotesque and monster-like or whatever. Um, you know, we don't we don't know any of that. You know, we don't know if demons ended up, you know, losing the beauty that they once had because they rebelled against God. I would venture to say no, they didn't, uh, because even Satan himself can appear as an angel of light in what he says and probably how he appears. I think that's very true as well of his minions, uh, demons, as we call them. Uh, there's all kinds of depictions on demons as far as what they are. And that's why I'm emphasizing that they are indeed fallen angels. Wicked, evil people, even though they may be the most wicked of people, whenever they die, they do not become demons. They die in their sin and they are facing the judgment of God. That is who they are. Demons, on the other hand, are indeed fallen angels rebelling against God or who rebelled against God. But we, we also want to know not just necessarily who they are and who their leader is. We, of course, we know Satan is. But we want to know how it is that they respond to God. How do they respond to Christ? And again, and you can't help but bring this up because it's so uh, so common for people to think that there's this equal struggle over the souls of people in the world. You got Christ on one side, you got Satan on the other side, and everybody's trying to, to get as many souls as they can, or you think of Satan and trying to over, still overthrow God, somehow thinking that he still has a chance to do so, and so his demons are doing the same. Now, all that is nonsense. It is nonsense because, one, it is very evident to Satan himself that he isn't going to win. It is very evident to Satan that he is under the sovereign control of his Creator. And this is very true even with demons. And I want to emphasize that because on Wednesday nights, we've been starting into a little series on Wednesday nights, Wolves in Sheep's Clothing. One in particular that we looked at was Joyce Meyer. And Joyce Meyer has this idea, this very false heretical idea of the atonement that... When Christ died on the cross, He literally went to hell and the demons that were there were jumping on Him and beating on Him and all kinds of stuff and He endured that for three days before He rose victoriously over them. Uh, that is very fanciful. Uh, well, it's just stupid. I don't know how else to say it. It's just stupid. 
There is nowhere in Scripture that we would ever find such a thing, nor would we ever find any demon even remotely trying to do this to their Creator. Not only does that give a false idea of the atonement in her view, because in her view of the atonement, Christ endured nothing from the Father. His suffering on the cross wasn't at all done by the Father. And when you look at the Scripture... That's exactly where His suffering came from. was from the Father. Because the Father poured out His wrath upon the Son to satisfy His justice. We are being saved from God through the Son and His sacrifice for us. Hell is hell because that's where the wrath of God is going to be. Not because of any supposed demons that are there. And as we talked about, there are only certain demons that are kept in chains that are actually in hell. The rest are on the earth. Demons do not rule in hell. Satan does not rule in hell. He is not the king of hell. Any of those kind of depictions that we find in movies and TV and all that. Well, it may make an interesting TV show. It's just simply not true. Demons only do what God allows them to do just as their leader Satan can only do what God allows him to do. They cause destruction, they cause pain, they cause suffering. We know all of these things, but even what destruction and pain and suffering and temptations and all of that that they are able to cause, they are only able to do so because of the sovereign hand of God that is permitting them to do so. Would a demon ever venture to attack his Creator? Not a chance. Never. So her view also gives a false understanding of the relationship between demons and Christ. Demons and their Creator. Because we already talked about how Christ is the Creator. All the angelic hosts were created by Him. According to Colossians 1, John 1, all those passages we looked at, Christ is the Creator of all the angelic hosts, all the levels and ranks of the angelic hosts. So for the demons that rebelled against God... He's still their Creator. He is still Lord and King of Kings over them. We find some very interesting things in this account in Luke chapter 8, which is also told by Matthew and also told by Mark, of Jesus when He encounters the demoniac. And we're going to look at this passage and we're going to see how they respond to Him so that we can get a better understanding of the authority and power of our God in relation to darkness. Now, is it important to say, do they hate Him? Yes, they do hate Him. But does that mean that they could ever harm Him? Never. Does that mean that they could ever thwart His will? Never. Not at all. And we're going to see that in this passage. So let's look at this together because we want to have a right understanding of demons and their relation to Christ. So we are going to start in verse 26 and we'll go ahead and read down to verse 39. So if you are able, please stand for the reading of God's Word. <clears throat> this is the inspired, inerrant, authoritative, infallible Word of the living God. And let us hear the Word of the living God. Verse 26. 
Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite of Galilee. And when they came, and when he came out onto the land, he was met by a man from the city who was possessed with demons, and who had not put on any clothing for a long time, and was living not in a house, but in the tombs. Seeing Jesus, he cried out and fell before him and said in a loud voice, What business do we have with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man, for it had seized him many times. And he was bound with chains and shackles and kept under guard, and yet he would break his bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion. For many demons had entered him. They were imploring him not to command them to go away into the abyss. Now there was a herd of many swine feeding there on the mountain, and the demons implored him to permit them to enter the swine, and he gave them permission. And the demons came out of the man and entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they ran away and reported it in the city and out in the country. The people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting down at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they became frightened. Those who had seen it reported to them how the man who was demon-possessed had been made well. And all the people of the country of the Gerasenes and the surrounding district asked him to leave them, for they were gripped with great fear. And he got into a boat and returned. But the man from whom the demons had gone out was begging him that he might accompany him. But he sent him away saying, Return to your house and describe what great things God has done for you. So he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank You for this portion of Your Word. We thank You for what it teaches us about Your sovereignty and Your authority over all the powers of darkness. Father, let it encourage our hearts and comfort and strengthen us to know what great power You have over the enemy that we should never fear even not one of the forces of darkness. You hold us in Your hand and You preserve us. Father, we know that we are Yours. Father, give us understanding and let us rejoice before You this day over all that we learn. For it's in Jesus' name we pray and all of God's children say, Amen. Please be seated. So in this passage, we learn a couple of things. <clears throat> the first thing that we, that we see from the very beginning of this account, when Jesus goes into the country of the Gerasenes, and the man in whom are many devils, many demons, when he sees Jesus, what does he do? He comes running to Jesus, and he bows before him. He falls at his feet. This is one of the first things that we see here. How the demons recognize and pay homage to Christ. They can't help but bow before Him because He is their Creator. They recognize His power. They recognize His holiness. 
they refer to Him, Jesus, Son of the Most High God. There, there are going to be another account we'll look at here in just a little bit in Mark chapter 1 when those demons saw Jesus in the synagogue when they were possessing a man. They referred to Him as Jesus, the Holy One of God. The demons have no trouble recognizing who He is. They know exactly who He is. They know that when they were seeing the Lord of glory veiled in human flesh, that they were seeing their Creator, the Holy One, the Son of the Most High God, the One who has the power over all. They recognize that. And what do they do before their great Creator? They fall at His feet. Is there anything remotely in here about any kind of a demon talking within themselves since there's a legion in this man? You think of a legion is at least from 3,000 to 6,000 as far as a Roman legion. All these demons in there are thinking, we could probably take him. Look how many of us there are compared to him. Is there any kind of a conversation? No. What do all 3,000 of them, let's take the lower number, let's what does all 3,000 of these demons possessing this man do? In unison, they're not fighting against each other. I'm bowing. No, I'm not. One knee. Nope. Two. They all bow before Him. They fall at His feet. They know who He is. And, he, and they know that He is the Holy One. They know that He has authority over them. In Mark chapter 1, when we look at that passage here in a little bit, when the demons confess who He is, we know who you are. You're Jesus, the Holy One of God. What does Jesus say? Be quiet. And come out of Him. Here's the God-man looking at these demons. He's the Creator. And he says, be quiet. Here's the epitome of evil indwelling a man who obey the voice of the Son of God. Be quiet and come out of it. And they obey. Because they cannot help but obey. For again, He is their Creator. So what then does that lead to? Understanding this, they understand who He is. They recognize who He is. What then does that tell us as well? That demons are terrified of Christ. They don't think they're going to win. They're not in some kind of an equal power struggle within the world. They know they're going to lose. They know they're going to endure the judgment of God. It would be wrong to even say they're trying to win. What does this, this man who's possessed with this legion of demons, what does he say? All these 3,000 demons in unison, I beg you, do not torment me. That's how demons respond to their Creator. I beg you, do not torment me. And they go on to say, they implore Jesus not to cast them into the abyss. In 
Matthew, Mark's Gospel, in that first chapter, well, instead of referencing it, let's just look at it. Mark chapter 1, they asked Jesus a very similar question. Mark chapter 1, <clears throat> beginning verse 21. They went out into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and began to teach. They were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Just then there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, What business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. Throwing him into convulsions, the unclean spirit cried out with a loud voice and came out of him. They were all amazed, so that they debated amongst themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. Immediately the news about him spread everywhere into all the surrounding district of Galilee. The demons there in Mark, when he encounters them, have you come to destroy us? The demon here that is possessing this man, and actually in Matthew's Gospel, there are two men that are there. Not just one, there's two that are demon-possessed. Have you come to torment us? I beg you, do not torment me. They implored him not to command them to go away into the abyss. And, not really, and you see something very interesting there. It says, and they implored him not, for him not to command them to go to the abyss. Not to physically grab them and to cast them into the abyss, but to command them, go. Because if he did, they would have to go. This abyss, the place of confinement for evil spirits, the place that we find in the book of Revelation, They are frightened of Him. They are terrified of the time when it does come as to what pain and suffering that they will endure because they rebelled against Him. In James chapter 2, a passage that we are very familiar with, James chapter 2, verse 19, Here's what James says. You believe that God is one? You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. The translations may say the demons also believe and tremble. That's the response of the forces of evil to their Creator. They tremble. They shudder. They beg, please don't torment us. They implore Him, don't command us to go into the abyss, to the place where the evil spirits are kept. They are in utter fear of their Creator. So that should tell us something about what power and authority that Christ Himself has. Oh, that may be true of the demons, but what about Satan? 
Satan full of pride. Satan, the, the origin of all evil. Who swayed a third of the angels to follow him. What about him? How does, how does he respond? Well, that, that leads us to the next, the next thing that we find here about these particular demons and how they respond to him is the same way that Satan does, that they always obey him. If you're terrified of somebody, you're going to obey them. If you're not, you're just not going to do it. People can command you all day to do something, but if you have no fear of any kind of repercussions, then it's that to you. But what you find is that the demons always obey Him. That also extends to Satan. Satan always obeys his Creator. Here in this passage, after imploring Jesus not to command them to go away into the abyss, the passage tells us that verse 32, Now there was a herd of many swine feeding there on the mountain, and the demons implored him to permit them, they couldn't go without his permission, to permit them to enter the swine. And he gave them permission. So all these demons come out of the man, they go into the pigs, and then the pigs run off the cliff into the water and drown. They obeyed what he said. The demon that we just encountered there in Mark chapter 1, those demons in that man. When Jesus commanded them to be quiet, shut your mouth, and come out of the man, they obeyed. Anytime Jesus ever cast out demons in the Gospels, they obeyed. Because He has all power and authority. And again, this teaches us something about demons and even Satan himself. They are created beings. They are not equal with God. They are not equal with Christ. They are not all-knowing. They don't have all power. They can't be everywhere at one time as God. And they only work and move within the sovereignty of God Himself. Now the Scripture, as far as Satan is concerned, the Scripture does refer to Satan in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 as the God of this world, but there's a context in which that is said. He's the God of this world who has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. But then the text goes on to say that the light of Christ shone in our hearts. So yes, Satan does have dominion in the sense of being able to influence the unbelieving, but he's only able to do that because they are not the elect of God. And for those that are the elect of God, though in the kingdom of darkness, when the time comes that God regenerates their hearts, that the light of Christ shines in their hearts, that the darkness is expelled from the person and the person receives Christ because of the change that was done in them. So Satan is the God of this world in the sense of having influence over the unbelieving, having influence over the evil, which is, if you think about it, exactly what he wanted. I mean, those passages that we read of Isaiah chapter 14 and Ezekiel chapter 28 that tell us of his fall or his what it is that he desired to do. He wanted to be like the Most High. He wanted to be worshipped. He was prideful because of his beauty when you look at all the things of those texts. And what is it that he receives? He receives exactly what he wanted. 
Because all the idolatry that goes on in the world, as you look in the Scripture, what it says is that behind each idol is a demon. And he is able to receive the worship that he so desires. He is the God of this world only in the sense that he has influence over the unbelieving, being able to blind them to an extent. Because, let's face it as well, that the unbelieving are unbelieving because of the darkness of their own hearts. That's why the unbelieving are not going to be judged because somebody else blinded them. They're going to be judged because they themselves rebelled against God. So even that's limited as far as what Satan is concerned. Demons always obey Him. What about Satan? <clears throat> well, in Mark, excuse me, Matthew, chapter 4, when Satan is trying to tempt Jesus, <clears throat> beginning of verse 8, This is the third time he's trying to tempt him. The Scripture tells us in Matthew chapter 4, beginning verse 8, Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. What does Jesus say? Then Jesus said to him, Go, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. Now, Satan in all of his pride actually thought that Jesus in His incarnation was somehow going to be uh, susceptible to temptation in His humanity. And that was not at all the case. But what is it the Son of God commanded him to do? This third time after Satan tries to tempt him, what does Jesus say? Go. What does the text say? Verse 11, Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him, began to minister to him. What did the devil do when Jesus said, Go? The devil went. Satan left. Because he must obey the voice of his Creator. Look at Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, beginning of verse 31. This is Jesus talking to Simon Peter, explaining to Peter that, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. But we find that the one who instigates this in the moments that it happens is indeed Satan himself. Luke chapter 22, verse 31. This is what Jesus says back to Simon Peter. He says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission Demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brother. What does he say to Simon Peter? Peter, after he tells him you're going to deny me three times. Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. And the implication is, when Jesus says, but I have prayed for you, and He says that your faith may not fail, and you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. 
So the, the, the idea here is Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat and he has been granted that permission. But then when it occurs, I have prayed for you though that your faith will not fail and once you have turned again, meaning that he turned aside, once you've turned again, strengthen your brothers. So Satan in this situation has only been granted the ability to only go so far and to only do what God has permitted him to do and when we see that, of course, and Peter denies him three times, he goes out and weeps bitterly, but Peter repents and is one of the strongest of the apostles later on when he stands before the very ones that condemned Jesus to death. Satan demanded permission to do this. It was granted to him, but he could only go so far. And one that is very evident, is Job. Turn with me to Job chapter 1. This is a little lengthy, but I want us to understand this very clearly. Job chapter 1, we'll jump into verse 6. <clears throat> Job chapter 1, beginning in verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. And Satan answered the Lord, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. So put forth your hand now and touch all that he has. He will surely curse you to your face. Then the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not put forth your hand on him, so Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. Now on the day when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them, and the Sabians attacked and took them, and also slew the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, The Chaldeans formed three bands and made a raid on the camels and took them and slew the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, Your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people, and they died, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell, and he fell to the ground and worshipped. He said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. For all this Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. We'll get in chapter 2 in just a second. But you think of the scenario here. 
Here's Job, a man who is blameless and upright. There's no one like him on the earth. And when Satan comes to present himself before the Lord, as the all the as all the angelic hosts do, the Lord looks at Satan and says, "Where you been? Here's what I've been doing." The Lord says, "Have you considered Job?" It's very interesting that Satan does not bring up Job to the Lord. The Lord brings up Job to Satan, and there's a lesson here that we'll get to as well. But what is what does he say about Job? The only reason he worships you and the only reason he's still committed to you is because you've blessed everything that he has. You've allowed him to increase and to prosper. But if you take it all away, he's going to curse you to your face. And so the Lord says to him, all that he has is in your power. Don't touch him. So there's a, there's a stipulation there to Satan. All that he has is in your power, but you can't touch him. And what does Satan do? He takes away all the livestock He's able to kill all of his children by the permission of God. But he is not allowed to touch Job at all. So what did Satan do? He obeyed. Here's the parameters of what you're able to do. You can't go outside of it. And that's exactly what Satan did. Only did what God permitted him to do. In chapter 2 here, The Scripture tells us again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among among them to present himself before the Lord. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, from roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. The Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. And he still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to ruin him without cause. Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yes, all that a man has, he will give for his life. However, put forth your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh. He will curse you to your face. So the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your power. Only spare his life. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore sore boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took a pot shirt and scraped to scrape himself while he was sitting among the ashes. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? In all of this, Job did not sin with his lips. So here's the second time. Satan comes before the Lord. The Lord says, Where have you been? This is what I've been doing. Have you considered Job? You tried to incite me against him, thinking that he was going to curse me. And guess what? He still held fast his integrity. Well, a man's going to do that, but if you end up touching him, then he is going to curse you to your face. And what does the Lord say? You can touch him, but you cannot take his life. And what does Satan do? Exactly what the Lord tells him to do. Exactly what the Lord tells him to do. Because he cannot do no other. Satan cannot just decide on a whim, I'm going to do this, even though the Lord told me this, I'm going to do this. No. He cannot. Does Satan still have to present himself before the Lord as he did then? I'm sure he does. Why? Because he is under the sovereign hand of God. We see another time in 1 Kings chapter 22. Go back a little bit. 
1 Kings chapter 22. I love this story. Uh, it's one that we've read before, of course, but I just think this is so funny. <clears throat> so here's Ahab and Jehoshaphat. They're getting ready to go to war together. Ahab is the king of Israel. Jehoshaphat is the king of Judah. They're going to team up and they're going to go against the enemy. And all of Ahab's prophets, all these prophets of Baal, Baal is a, is a particular god that Israel fell into worshiping. All these prophets of Baal are saying, yes, you're going to have great victory and all of that. And Jehoshaphat, where he was one who served the Lord, he says, Ahab, don't you have a prophet around? And he says, yeah, but he, he never speaks good of me. So he kept him in prison. <laughs> so he tells him, go fetch him. So verse 13 of 1 Kings 22. Then the messenger who went to summon Micaiah spoke to him saying, Behold now, the words of the prophets are uniformly favorable to the king. Please let your word be like the word of one of them and speak favorably. But Micaiah said, As the Lord lives, what the Lord says to me, that shall I speak. When he came to the king, the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to Ramoth-Gilead to battle? Or shall we refrain? And he answered him, Go up and succeed, and the Lord will give it into the hand of the king. Then the king said to him, How many times must I adjure you to speak to me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? So he said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains like sheep which have no shepherd. And the Lord said, These have no master. Let each of them return to his house in peace. Then the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Did I not tell you that he would not prophesy good concerning me, but evil? Micaiah said, Therefore hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on His throne and all the host of heaven standing by Him on His right and on His left. The Lord said, Who will entice Ahab to go up and fall at Ramoth-Gilead? And one said this, while another said that. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will entice him. The Lord said to him, how? And he said, I will go out and be a deceiving spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. Then he said, you are to entice him and also prevail. Go and do so. Now, he's obviously not talking to a holy angel here. What spirit came forward and says, I'll do it because I'm going to go be a lying spirit in, his, in the mouth of his prophets? Most likely it would be Satan. Satan has to appear before the Lord in Job. Satan appears before the Lord here. You see Satan before the Lord in Zechariah chapter 3. This is something that Satan has to do. And he is only permitted to do what God will allow him to do. You can do so much, and then you're done. So that really moves us back again to what we talked about when we talked first about Satan. The Scripture tells us that Satan is like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But Satan is a dog on a leash. And his leash is tied to the foot of the cross. Because he is defeated. His defeat occurred at the cross. All his minions, their defeat occurred at the cross. Then they cause havoc. Suffering and all this sort of thing. 
temptations and, and what have you? Yeah, they can. They're here on the earth. What do you think they're going to do? They're going to try to do all that they can, but they can only do what God will permit them to do, which is according to His sovereign will. Did Satan attack the church? Absolutely, he attacked the church. Attacking the church through false doctrine, attacking the church through various temptations and leadership, attacking the church with persecutions? Absolutely. But even in all of that, every bit of that, it's still under the sovereign hand of God. Because it's the Lord who says, with every temptation, there is a way of escape. That you, that you can bear it. He says that if you suffer, if the Lord so wills, that you suffer for doing what is right rather than what is doing, than doing evil. That's why he says, count it all joy when you endure various trials, knowing that the trying of your faith produces patience. This is God's way of producing in us the fruit of the Spirit, making our faith grow stronger. And who does He use to do that? He uses Satan and his minions to bring about tribulations and sufferings and all of that not to cause the people of God to fail, but to strengthen the people of God even more so. We battle not with flesh and blood, but with principalities and powers and all the forces of darkness. We indeed battle there. We don't want to act like they're not there or act like they're not uh, in, you know, a force to be reckoned with, because indeed they are, especially if you don't know Christ. And I'll share this with you. In Acts chapter 19, I love this story too. <clears throat> Acts chapter 19, beginning of verse 11. The Scripture tells us God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from his body to the sick and the disease left them and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out simply by having a handkerchief or an apron that Paul touched. But also some of the Jewish exorcists who went from place to place attempted to name over those who had the evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. Seven sons of one Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. And the evil spirit answered and said to them, I recognize Jesus, and I know about Paul. But who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them and subdued all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. I like one of the other translations where it says, Jesus I know and Paul I know. Who are you? Those that were not in Christ indeed had something to fear. But when we look at all of this together, and how the demons obey God, how the demons are terrified of Him, terrified of Christ, how Satan is terrified of Him, and how Satan responds to Him in obedience, that should give the people of God a great confidence and a strengthening that occurs to us to know that greater is He who is in me than he that is in the world. 
to know that Satan cannot do anything to me or anything to you unless God permits it to occur. And by the way, one thing about Job is that Job is a blameless and upright man and there's no one like him on the earth. If no one who's like Job, or the one who's like Job, blameless and upright, has to endure what he did, then not one of us can say, we don't deserve what happens to us. Because we're not Job. We're not blameless and upright. We're not unique out of everybody on the earth. So if Job endures such hardships in his life, then we can expect nothing less. But the thing that we do, that Job does, is to still give worship back to the Lord. The Lord gave and the Lord took, has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And all this Job did not sin with his lips. You know the interesting thing about that, which should also, also encourage us when we think about our relationship towards demons or our relation towards demons and Satan himself, one is that we should never fear him, ever. Never fear Satan or his demons because once again, our Savior, our Lord, our King of Kings has authority and power over him. And Satan himself cannot pluck us out of the hand of God. And Job is a great example of that. You know, when you look in the book of Job and you read all through the book of Job, one thing that he is never told. We know why, it, we know why all of his suffering occurred. We see the conversation of what happened in heaven. Job is never told by the Lord, ever, this is why this occurred. Basically, what does Job receive? What, what message does Job receive from the Lord when the Lord begins to talk to him and rebuke him? Basically, you can sum it up as, I'm God and you're not. Job's never told why this occurred. But when you begin to think about everything that occurred in the book of Job, it was not just a lesson for Job. All this that occurred, it was a lesson to Satan. Mine will never be yours. Those that are genuinely mine will never curse me to my face. Those that are mine, you will never have. Because we are preserved in the hand of God. And as the Apostle Paul says, I am convinced that death, no life, no principalities, no powers, no height, no depth, nor any other created thing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. If God is for us, who can be against us? Right? So Job not only gives us a great lesson as far as the obedience of Satan, but it is also a great lesson for us as well in not fearing him, not fearing his minions, being on guard, yes. We should always be on guard, especially to temptations and everything else which either come from uh, Satan himself or demons or attacks or whatever and from our own selves and our own sinful hearts. But never should we fear Him. Never should we be scared of a created being whom Christ, our King, our Lord, has triumphed over. Never will there be a time when we are plucked out of the hand of God. And we'll close with this, a passage that Jason had went over with you. 1 John chapter 4. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God, 
This is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that it is coming, and it is now, and now it is already in the world. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is He who is in you than He that is in the world. It's so beautiful. You've overcome them. Because of the one that is in you. Never shall we fear Satan. Never shall we fear his minions. But to recognize them as defeated foes who are only operating under the sovereign hand of God. We will stop there. And we will continue and finish up this series next Lord's Day. <clears throat> Let's pray together. Holy Father, God, we thank You so much for what Your Word teaches us. That never shall we fear any other created thing. But our Lord Jesus says, don't fear Him who can destroy the body but not the soul. But fear Him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. The only one that we are to ever have a fear toward be you. Father, we thank you that you have all control and all power. We thank you that only that Satan can only do what you permit him to do as well as his demonic minions. They are not a force to be reckoned with when it comes to you. They are terrified of you. They can't help but bow before you. They tremble in considering their end. Father, thank you that because Christ has conquered, because Christ has overcome the evil one and all the forces of darkness, thank you that we have the privilege of partaking in that victory as well. Let us never lose sight of that. Let us never be fearful. But always have confidence in You that regardless of what comes our way, what pain and suffering and trials and temptations, whether at the hands of the demonic activities in the world or because of our own sinful hearts, let us always remember and have confidence that You are in control. Thank you so much, Father, of our conquering King. Thank you for all that He did in destroying the works of the devil and rendering Him powerless. So He no longer has any power of death in the sense of causing fear. You are the only one as well who has the gift of life. He takes life. Satan cannot even do that. Power of death and life, you alone hold. Father, encourage us. Let us rejoice before you this day on account of all that we've done. Be glorified in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.